0: Greetings, everybody. And I wanted to welcome uh, Mr. Masaki Shirakawa. Uh, He was the governor of the Bank of Japan from 2008 through 2013. Uh, And before that, he spent a long career at the bank, um, probably about 35 years or so. uh, 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 The 39 years including governorship. Including the governorship, right. Okay, so, um, um, and indeed uh, just last month, uh, Mr. Shirakawa published a book uh, called Tumultuous Times, uh, center Banking in an Era of Crisis. Uh, this just came out in English uh, last month. It's available on Amazon and elsewhere. Uh, it's a really great book, um, not only about the content of uh, current uh, economies, monetary policy, and those types of issues, but also what it was really like to be uh, inside a central bank during this period of great change of uh, central banking itself. So um, I highly recommend it uh, to everybody out there. Um, now he is currently the distinguished guest professor at Magakuin University in Tokyo and he is also a member of the group of 30. So once again, uh, Mr. Shirkal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, uh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I want to start uh, with a short summary of one of the key arguments in your book. Okay, In this book, Tumultuous Times, uh, you noted that low economic growth, low inflation, and low interest rates are common across most of the world, um, even though central banks have really done more that easing than anybody really thought was possible a few decades ago. Can you please explain this puzzle to us? Why do we have super easy policy, but we still have very low inflation and very low economic growth? Okay. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for your uh, advertisement on my book.
1: <laughs> and, uh, the. What you said, uh, what you described, is seemingly a puzzle. Uh, but if we consider the mechanism of how monetary easing works, uh, it, is, uh, not uh, it is not a puzzle. Rather, uh, it is, uh, I would say, self-evident. Uh, the, the effectiveness of monetary easing uh, is essentially two. One is uh, to front load future demand to the present by engineering very accommodating military condition. Of course, this works, but uh, its effectiveness naturally diminishes as matter easing is prolonged uh, because demand that could be front-loaded diminishes uh, over time. We can't count on uh, this mechanism indefinitely. The, sec- the other mechanism is to bring uh, <laughs> demand uh, home away from foreign countries by engineering uh, depreciation of its own currency. Uh, but by definition of exchange rate, uh, <laughs> this mechanism doesn't apply to all whole countries. A case in point is Japan uh, where interest rate is the uh, lowest at the level of zero interest rate as a height of global financial, <laughs> uh, as a start of global financial crisis. Uh, Nonetheless, uh, if we continue with material easing, what will happen globally? Uh, That is uh, what we are now observing. And this argument does apply to inflation as well. By inducing demand from future to the present, uh, it could raise the price level uh, today relative to price level uh, tomorrow. But uh, as a consequence, uh, price level of tomorrow will uh, decline and uh, so uh, what matter easing could produce is a level the rise of the level of price uh, not uh, inflation itself and i'm not saying that matter easing is not <laughs> uh, mean, is not meaningless of course matter easing is uh, meaningful uh, but uh, uh, it works uh, if the shock hitting the economy is uh, transitory. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but uh, the shock which, for instance, Japanese economy was hit over the decades was not that uh, transitory demand shortfall. Uh, the most important uh, factor was uh, the <laughs> rapid aging and declining of population. And given this, uh, just uh, tinkering with the timing of expenditure could not increase uh, uh, growth rate, could not increase uh, uh, inflation.
0: Uh, that is my reading of the situation. Okay, that's interesting. Then, uh, is, does that mean that there's some way in which uh, the very prolonged monetary easing in response to structural factors like demographics that you mentioned, does it? Somehow cause inflation to be lower in the future if we get a bump up of the price level in the near term, but then it's going to go down again. Uh,
1: the frankly speaking, the our knowledge, I mean, the academics and policy makers uh, do not know the complex dynamics of inflation. And just now, uh, I focus on the timing of expenditure uh, induced by monetary easing. Yeah, this is one aspect of uh, inflation dynamics, uh, but uh, we can uh, think of uh, different uh, uh, dynamics. Yeah, for instance, if uh, central bank uh, is engaged with uh, uh, massive uh, monetary easing with purchasing of government bond, and if Market participants uh, perceive that uh, central bank is forced to monetize government bonds in order to save government finance, then inflation uh, will be forthcoming. And so uh, we have to look at how and in what condition uh, central banks are doing uh, monetary easing. And again, this is not for, sorry, but uh, that's my uh, interpretation.
0: I see. Okay. Then then maybe would fiscal policy, which uh, many countries are now considering, especially in the U.S., is that likely to be any more successful at raising uh, inflation on a more permanent, lasting basis? Uh, If the only
1: purpose of macroeconomic policy is just to raise inflation rate, a combination of a truly aggressive monetary policy and truly aggressive fiscal policy might be an answer. Uh, but in this case, the mechanism uh, which brings about inflation is simply the loss of confidence of central bank and government. And uh, the resulting inflation is not mild deflation, uh, such a 2% inflation, which economists <laughs> is envisioning. Rather, it's a rampant or hyper <laughs> uh, inflation, And I don't think uh, this inflation is uh, <laughs> hoped for by economists and many uh, people. So we have to think about why inflation is needed. And the standard argument is to have uh, multi-policy space uh, uh, in order not to slip into zero interest rate. Uh, and then economists say, uh, in the presence of zero interest rate, fiscal policy is effective. Uh, maybe so, but if fiscal policy is effective, then uh, why on earth do we need a 2% inflation rate, uh, which is <laughs> justified on the ground of having policy space? So uh, so uh, we have to think about why inflation is needed uh, uh,
0: in a deep sense. I see. Well, that's um, I mean, this sounds kind of like a minority view, uh, because certainly most people think we need 2% inflation. Um, it seems there's a very strong consensus on that, um, even though some uh, observers like, uh, for example, Larry Summers, uh, now say that perhaps central banks uh, might not be able to control the rate of inflation so easily. So is your view still very much a minority or do you think it's being uh, the conventional wisdom is being questioned more now? Uh, yes, uh, my view is uh,
1: a minority one uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, and judging from you know, what central bankers and academics are saying you know, publicly, uh, of course, uh, as I said, my view is uh, minority, but I'm not sure whether uh, those academics and policy makers are believing full-heartedly in what they are saying publicly, And uh, uh, they might have some uh, <coughs> some uh, uneasy, they have some uneasy <laughs> feeling uh, with interpreting uh, this situation and uh, there could be three hypotheses uh, on the response of uh, central banks and academics. Uh, one is some of them are literally believing what they are saying. Some of them are of two minds and some of them do not believe in what they are saying. <laughs> Uh, but uh, even so, the, they are united in expressing themselves to outside world, and uh, a couple of hypotheses are conceivable. Uh, first, as with any institution, uh, groupthink might be prevailing. The second, a lack of alternative theory. And uh, once uh, policymakers express some agnostic view about how inflation rate is determined, then the financial market participant uh, might anticipate the change in monetary policy strategy, which lasted for the past uh, two decades. Of course, uh, this could uh, rattle the financial market. So uh, they are fearful of that kind of uh, reaction. And third, a uh, fear of the loss of central bank independence. Uh, inflation targeting framework uh, is a hallmark of the independent central bank. and. Uh, uh, this is uh, very important uh, international <laughs> institutional underpinnings of underpinning uh, central bank <laughs> uh, independence, and uh, independence calls for accountability, and uh, uh, inflation targeting, well, inflation rate, was a major part of uh, this uh, accountability device or framework. And if central bank uh, say we don't know how inflation rate is determined, then the very basis of accountability could be eroded, uh, which (laughs) leads to the loss of independence. I I don't think uh, this is right argument, but uh, uh, this might be one hypothesis. And uh, so various factors are involved. Uh, in this uh, current situation.
0: Okay, well that's interesting. Um, Okay, well then let me bring it a little bit more to the present uh, because uh, in the last couple months we've actually had fairly high inflation um, Mm. in many countries. Uh, It has not been very long and certainly the Fed and most other central bankers say it's likely to be temporary. Um, But do you think it's likely to be temporary? Uh, What are the causes? Um, or is it another one of these short-lived rises of inflation um, that then fades away that we've seen over the last few decades? Uh,
1: on this issue, I do not have uh, a unique view. And uh, on the one hand, uh, I have some sympathy uh, with uh, transitory school. And uh, the factors uh, which push uh, up prices uh, Seems to be a natural and uh, the current rise in inflation rate is uh, basically due to the, the returning of the economy to normalcy. And in that process, the supply <laughs> side uh, bottleneck is created, the oil price is uh, uh, increasing, and but eventually we are hoping that the economy will go back to the normalcy. And if so, and the, those pressure will be gradually <laughs> disappearing. So in that sense, uh, I have some sympathy with uh, uh, Transitary School. Uh, but as I said, uh, our knowledge on inflation dynamics is quite limited. So I do not stick with what I said just now. and. Uh, uh, equally, uh, we have to <laughs> have concern over other things. A uh, case in point is uh, <laughs> financial stability. And uh, given uh, financial imbalances uh, are accumulated like globally, uh, we have to <laughs> have a uh, legitimate concern over financial stability. And uh, also uh, I'm concerned about uh, material easing induced uh, <laughs> decline in productivity. As I said, the, <laughs> the mechanism of material easing is essentially based on front-loading of future demand to the present. And in this process, the, for instance, uh, investment is undertaken uh, <laughs> in the expectation of uh, uh, profitability. And naturally, uh, productive investment will be <laughs> undertaken first. So over time, uh, less productive investment will be undertaken, which means uh, lower uh, growth of productivity. And also the aggressive monetary easing uh, could suppress uh, credit spread, which hampered efficient allocation of uh, credit. And uh, on top of that, uh, zombie farm might be allowed. And all in all, the the current prolonged materialism have some uh, mechanism for gradually lowering uh, productivity growth. And in this case, uh, of course this is a slow-moving picture, but uh, we have to <laughs> be concerned about this kind of scenario as well. So my, uh, my bottom line is uh, we
0: have to be open-minded. Okay. Um. Well, then, uh, this sounds like there's, uh, you know, there is a criticism in the market that central banks are doing too much uh, and that they're possibly creating asset bubbles, um, maybe even inflation. Uh, they may have to raise interest rates faster um, if, indeed, inflation gets out of control. Do you think that that's a large risk? Uh, <clears throat> yes. Uh, the
1: You framed your question. Uh, in terms of uh, inflation and the risk of uh, inflation, the risk of financial instability in future. And uh, uh, my point is uh, what I want to uh, emphasize is that central banks has to be alert to that kind of uh, risk. And uh, uh, when I'm observing the current policy debate, uh, my impression is that people are so uh focused on inflation. And uh, some people are saying <laughs> the central bank uh, 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 too naive about uh, <laughs> uh, the risk of inflation. And uh, as I say, no, no, uh, this inflation is uh, transitory. But uh, uh, these arguments are framed in terms of inflation, but uh, inflation is, uh, one aspect of currency stability. And my uh, my argument is uh, both price stability and financial stability are two faces of the same coin, uh, currency stability. And what people are asking central bank to play role is currency stability. And in this environment, people do not have to (laughs) Worry about uh, price level in the wrong ground. Uh, uh, if people lose pace in the uh, the price level, then economic agent cannot do rational economic uh, calculus.
0: Yeah. I see. Okay. Um... I mean, it's um, again. You've uh, you were at a central bank for thirty nine years, including um, at the Bank of Japan, um, and I'm sure that um, you know being uh, having criticism of central banks is part of the job. Um, I just wonder. It seems that compared to the past, uh, the criticism appears to be more intense um, in um, uh, you know in the current uh, environment. Um, do you think that the criticism will likely change the consensus on central bank goals um, and this need for central bank independence um, in order to pursue these goals?
1: Uh, the current situation is uh, uh, very uh, uh, serious and uh, the I think the criticism has been intense over the decade, and will continue to be so for uh, three reasons. Uh, first, the independent central bank can take action quickly without getting approval over the parliament, unlike the government or fiscal policy. The second uh, government is in political impasse uh, because uh, society is so divided over you know, various uh, issues, and third, so, given these, uh, central bank themselves feel obliged to do something if uh, macroeconomy is not performing well, and uh, the current situation uh, is created by this kind of uh, uh, complex uh, dynamics, and the distinction between central bank distinction between what central bank can do and what central bank cannot do is not so clear, especially in the short run. So as central banks become more aggressive, society become accustomed to it gradually, which creates further demands on central bank. And if central banks uh, goes too far, eventually the (laughs) backlash uh, will be forthcoming yeah, because uh, uh, in this case, central bank is uh, uh, stepping into this sphere of uh, of political nature or fiscal
0: nature. So uh, uh, we have to be uh, careful. Wow. Um, so it sounds as if sometimes society is expecting too much out of the central bank.
1: Yeah. Basically. And, uh, yeah. and the the, the <laughs> difficult thing is uh, In this case, central bank is not forced to do uh, what society is asking. And central bank feel obliged to do something because everything can be translated into macroeconomy or uh, price development. So if you uh, use that kind of uh, logic too far, then gradually central bank views, uh, (laughs) feel obliged. And that is very strange
0: dynamics. Okay, great. Um, So the Japanese title of your book uh, was more like um, uh, my 39 years as a central banker. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about that experience. Um, The reason why is that most investors and the general public really does not know what's going on inside a central bank. Um, and in your book, uh, you note that there's a very strong orthodoxy, uh, and you just discussed that, within the central bank circles. Um, and though even though some people like Larry Summers have talked about the failure of monetary policy to raise inflation, when central bankers get together, uh, they still seem to really believe in the orthodoxy. You mentioned the three different types, but I guess the question is, is there any really fundamental rethinking of the role of a central bank? Uh, of what can be accomplished with central bank's tools. um, Does daylight really get inside the walls of a central bank?
1: Okay. Uh, My self-assessment or my argument is uh, that I belong to uh, orthodox school in the long history of uh, central banking. And uh, say uh, uh, 100 years ago, the central bankers or well, people are not talking about monetary policy. In those days, the the word of monetary policy itself was not existing. And uh, my understand, in my understanding, the fundamental role of central banks is to foster uh, monetary and financial environment conducive to sustainable economic growth. And uh, uh this is translated uh, could be translated into price stability and uh, financial stability or currency stability and uh, it is a new phenomena that central banks uh, focus on uh, inflation rate uh, uh, say at two percent it's a new tradition and uh, I'm not saying that price stability is not important. Of course, past stability is important, but uh, this price stability is uh, the the state which is achieved in the long run time span. And so, uh, uh, just minutes ago, I said central bank had two mandate: price stability and financial stability. But, uh, frankly speaking, I do not <laughs> like this uh, uh, typology, and for me. The objective is one uh, currency stability or uh, the stable <laughs> monetary and financial <laughs> environment and if we are pressured to divide or classify, then I would say stability and, and <clears throat> financial stability oh. so uh, my short answer to the question is uh, uh, we do not need fundamental rethinking of central banking rather. Uh, we have to recall uh, what central banks are expected to perform. And uh, the country, what we are asked is how to operationalize uh, what I said. And uh, the how to operationalize uh, uh, my thinking is of course not that easy, Uh, but uh, this is what central banks are now
0: uh, tackled with. Okay, very good. Um, Let's think about another central bank. I wanted to ask about China just for a second, Um, because uh, China's monetary system is, I think, quite different from those of other advanced countries. Um, It's more quantity-based. It emphasizes the exchange rate more than most other uh, advanced countries, I would say. Um, But the Chinese economy has continued to grow pretty well Uh, despite everything, um, even though there's high debt, uh, the state role in the economy is very strong, uh, COVID. um, Do you think that China is stable and do you think that there's lessons for China from Japan's uh, monetary and economic history? Okay, Uh,
1: each country has its own uh, problem. And so I do not think the lessons of Japanese economy are useful for China in a mechanical way. But nonetheless, the Japanese experience uh, could provide uh, food for thought for Chinese uh, (laughs) uh, policy makers. And in this light, the most important lesson is how a country uh, makes a transition from high growth to stable growth. And uh, specifically, uh, I would like to point to uh, three things. Uh, one is the demographics, demographic change. Uh, by this, I mean both rapid aging and uh, declining population due to low birth rate. Uh, China is following Japan with a lag of 20 years. And uh, second is how to manage the <laughs> the rise of social frustration due to gradual, gradually declining uh, growth rate. Uh, in a growing economy, the political decision is about allocation of uh, gain. But uh, in a decreasing growth rate society, the, the role of uh, <clears throat> political decision is about how to allocate the burden, uh, which is uh, more difficult. In the case of Japan, um, it took the form of uh, allocation between the elderly and the young people, the allocation between the metropolitan Tokyo and uh, the local community, uh, which is losing uh, population. And the third is a conflict with the rest of the world, uh, which is uh, uh, due to still high growth. And in the case of Japan, the economic uh, the trade and investment uh, dispute with the uh, uh, US uh, was uh, the serious uh, factor. And currently, we are seeing the <laughs> conflict between China and the US. and uh, so all these factors are involved in the transition uh, from high growth to moderate growth. And uh, uh, of course, uh, China has a different political system. So I don't say that what happened in Japan uh, happened in China in the same manner, but the nature of the problem itself is the same.
0: Got it. Okay. Um, I also wanted to ask about debt uh, because debt levels across the world are very high. Uh, You wrote about this in many places of your book. Um, This is partially a result of the borrowing demand from the future um, effect uh, that you explained at the beginning. Um, Can interest rates rise uh, given how much debt there is? Um, And is this why some economies seem very sensitive uh, to even quite small increases of interest rates.
1: Okay. Uh, as we are uh, observing in developing and emerging market economies, the, the rise in interest rate uh, uh, is uh, impacting on those economies. And uh, when we look at uh, the advanced economies, as we discuss, uh, pro material easing is, uh, <laughs> there. Uh, but, uh, uh, eventually, if the debt level is uh, too excessive, uh, this situation is, uh, uh, adjusted, uh, anyway. And uh, in the economy, after adjustment is made, the interest rate uh, uh, have to be higher than otherwise. Otherwise, the the equilibrium is not restored. So uh, eventually, interest rate will go up. Uh, And how interest rate go up uh, is very complex. And based upon uh, past uh, experience, uh, oftentimes uh, it starts from the weakest link of the <laughs> global economy, so uh, we have to be uh, careful.
0: Okay, great. Um, then, just finally, um, I wanted to ask a few questions about crypto, um, yeah. which um, you know is, I think, in some degree related to central banking. Uh, we know that the most popular cryptocurrency, which is Bitcoin, um, initially became popular. Uh, because people felt that it would um, it 's not subject to inflation, um, like uh, fiat currencies with um, um, uh, independent with central banks um, so if inflation stays high uh, over the next it 's not as transitory as most central bankers think it will be. Uh, do you think that crypto is going to gain popularity because it seems like a hedge against inflation
1: uh, I did not rule well, yeah, out such possibility. Uh, but uh, the, the increase in popularity, uh, is uh, not due to the attractiveness of Bitcoin as currency. Uh, this is just, uh, uh, the, due to the attracting of uh, Bitcoin as a speculative asset. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we have to distinguish uh, between the issue of currency and the, uh, and the issue of uh, asset uh, which serves the purpose of of, uh, of uh, speculation or hedging against inflation waste. and, risk. and uh, the issue is uh, uh, the volatility associated with Bitcoin. And in order for currency <laughs> uh, to serve its purpose, the we have to have the mechanism for supplying the the currency or asset in question. And in the case of Bitcoin, we are lacking in such mechanism. So I do not think anyway, Bitcoin will gain popularity as currency.
0: Okay. Then um, you touched upon some kind of theoretical issues. Um, I wanted to ask, um, do you think that central banks should have a monopoly on the supply of money? Um, I know that you admire Milton Friedman, uh, and um, even though obviously uh, Milton uh, wanted to keep the government out of the economy as much as possible, I believe he did favor government control of money. So I wanted to hear your thoughts.
1: Uh, uh, First of minor point, Uh, I studied at the University of Chicago and I took Milton Friedman's last class, but uh, I'm not an (laughs) admirer of Milton Friedman. I respect uh, his uh, great works. And uh, only a, a question, uh, it depends, my answer depends on how we define government control. And uh, current monetary system is already hybrid system of government money or public money and private money. Uh, the, if, uh, we look at the ratio of uh, uh, private money. I mean, the, the, the deposit with uh, private banks by the individuals and the corporate. Uh, the most part of the money is private money. And uh, if we look at uh, asset side of uh, banks, then and the asset is directed toward the lending. So uh, this means that credit allocation is uh, done by private banks. In that sense, uh, current system is already private system. Uh, but uh, the the value of uh, private money is sometimes questioned, and if people think that uh, the this and that bank is uh, not safe, then people will (laughs) withdraw the deposit to get cash, meaning uh, central bank money. And uh, without having absolutely safe currency, the monetary system is essentially unstable. Uh, That's why central bank is monopolizing on the issue of uh, (laughs) of currency uh, today. And uh, this, aspect will remain the same. Uh, so in that sense, uh, central bank, or uh, the society is, central bank is monopolizing. Uh, but uh, as I said, current monetary system is hybrid of private money and public money. And uh, I am a strong believer in the hybrid system.
0: Okay. Um, Well, then this last question is related to that because um, crypto is not just Bitcoin anymore. Um, There's a whole alternative financial infrastructure that's being built on the blockchain um, from uh, payments, um, uh, tokenized assets, uh, things like that. Um, Do you think that this is going to be a permanent uh, development? Um, And um, does it raise any sort of interesting uh, financial risks? Um, that central banks and financial regulators are going to have to look at? Okay.
1: The, the distribution and the, the, the blockchain technology is um, very uh, promising as a device for, for, for transfer of a title or financial assets. So I think uh, this has a huge potential uh, in financial (laughs) transaction or uh, in providing financial infrastructure. But I stress the the transfer. And uh, sometimes uh, uh, people looking at this aspect goes too far. So this blockchain technology uh, could uh, provide a safe uh, currency. Uh, I don't think so. And uh, as as I said minutes ago, the in order for currency to serve as a currency, the volatility have to be minimized. And uh, uh, this uh, uh, is related to the issue of provide, uh, provision of liquidity. And the provision of liquidity means the, we need <coughs> the safe asset, and uh, looking at long history of uh, money, the, <coughs> the the existence of public money is uh, essential. And uh, the problem with uh, uh, with, uh, for instance, uh, uh, Libra was the implicit liquidity provision is assumed and uh of course uh, Libra is uh, uh, could be convenient uh, if we look at uh, transparent aspect and but if uh, libera uh, could be used as a currency uh, literally then liquidity provision is needed and uh central banks is not not standing behind but if it creates the impression that central banks is standing behind, then this entity itself uh, should be subject to supervision and regulation. And this means that this entity uh, should be banned. So <laughs> I don't think entity other than banks uh, can provide uh, safe money. Okay,
0: great. Well, um, Mr. Shirikawa, thank you very much for sharing your time, uh, for sharing uh, the insights of your book, um, and the insights of your career in central banking. Uh, There's a lot to think about here. Uh, I really thank you once again very much. Thank you very much. I enjoyed the discussion with you. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much. The content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained in this material constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Deep Macro Incorporated or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in this or in any other jurisdiction in which such solicitation or offer would be unlawful under the securities laws of such jurisdiction. All content is information of a general nature and does not addressed the circumstances of any particular individual or entity. None of the information constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any of the information constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto. There are risks associated with investing. Loss of principal is possible. Some high-risk investments may use leverage, which will accentuate gains and losses of securities or firms past investment performance does not a guarantee a predictor of future investment performance. content is for informational purposes only you should not construe any such information or other material as legal tax investment financial or other advice nothing contained in this material constitutes a solicitation recommendation endorsement or offer by deep macro incorporated or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in this or in any other jurisdiction in which such solicitation or offer would be unlawful under the securities laws of such jurisdiction all content is information of a general nature and does not addressed the circumstances of any particular individual or entity none of the information constitutes professional and or financial advice nor does any of the information constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto there are risks associated with investing loss of principal is possible some high-risk investments may use leverage which will accentuate gains and losses of securities or firms past investment performance guarantee or predictor of future investment performance.